0: We've got a few things lined up for today. We're going to talk with a brand new company that's making a satellite communicator that I think is perfect for us motorcyclists. I've been trying this. I think it's perfect in many ways. But first, I'm going to sit down with one of the most well-known names in motorcycle hard enduro graham jarvis graham is a husqvarna rock star factory rider but very likely you've seen his videos on the internet which seems to always go viral riding his husqvarna motorcycle over incredible obstacles many times on the rear wheel only he's got incredible balance and he has the sort of an uncanny ability to make the toughest rides look well downright easy i'm jim martin this is adventure rider radio stay with us we got a good boom for you Sam am Simon. Austin
1: Simon Pavey. Brian Phil. Pellicottier, Pellicottier,
0: Jocelyn Snow. Carl Parker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant
1: Johnson. Jimmy
0: Lewis. Liz Jansen. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliAdv.com Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Googletech filters. Cyclepump.com. Jarvis is one of the top off-road riders in the world he is a Husqvarna Rockstar factory sponsored rider in fact Husqvarna has a special edition motorcycle called the Jarvis edition obviously in his name he rides like he was meant to be on the bike like he was born on the bike it's an extension of himself and if you've seen the videos of Graham riding over well almost anything logs rocks whatever he does it with the grace and precision of a mountain lion And if you ever listen to those those videos, the audio and the video, you'll hear that the bike is hardly revving, such incredible control over the machine. Now, Graham started his racing career in trials competitions, and he's taken some of those skills from trials, and he now uses those to achieve what he does in hard enduro, just incredible things on a motorcycle. And oh, by the way, Graham Jarvis just turned 45 years old. Now, there must be some lessons in here for us adventure riders. welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.
2: What is hard enduro's? Well, you know, it's uh, the toughest riding over the gnarliest terrain you can think of. It's it's a good mix of everything, basically on uh, dirt bikes, on motocross-style bikes. We obviously enduro bikes, uh, just a little bit different from motocross bikes, softer suspension, you know, a little bit softer engine, nice progressive engine. And we're just tackling the gnarliest terrain you can think of. Hill climbs, rocks, logs, you name it. It's got everything.
0: How do you end up doing this? I mean, I think if anybody follows any of this, they're going to know your name for sure, even outside of it. We see your videos around. We see the incredible things you do with bikes. But you didn't wake up and start doing that. How did you start out?
2: Well, I did trials from 10 years old. I did world championship trials till I was like 30 years old and uh, got to number four in the world. And uh, kind of that came to an end. So I took the Enduros just for fun. And that was kind of the start of the... There was hard Enduros back then, but it was like two or three events. But then it, from there, it just kind of... Just uh, went crazy and the sport's taken off and it gets a lot of following. And backed by the factories, so lucky. I'm lucky enough
0: to to have a, a factory deal and get paid. You did trials for all those years. Is that the sort of the foundation that's got you to where you are now?
2: It's definitely easier to adapt to hard endure if you've come from trials. The skills are similar on the on the technical riding. Not everyone can can adapt that easily. There's a, obviously a quite a bit of speed involved as well. So you need a bit of motocross skills, and you've got a you know the speed. Style as well. Not for you know. Not everyone can go from trials to enduro so easily, but the skills are already there. The base is there. So, if somebody's got the desire, it's definitely easier to adapt.
0: For those that don't know what trials is, can you sort of talk about that discipline?
2: Well, it's much lighter bikes and uh, through observed sections. So you've got to keep your feet up and a lot more technical. And uh, just completely, you know, lighter bikes. So that's that's the biggest difference.
0: And you mentioned a minute ago that that came to an end. Why did it come to an end? I was just getting beat <laughs> by younger riders.
2: <laughs> the, oh, so it's, it's a, you
0: think it's <laughs> is, is it tougher than than hard
2: enduro? The sport started to evolve. So the the techniques and the tricks was getting more advanced than what I was doing. And the bikes were changing as well. So, I mean, I was still top 10 in the world, but just not good enough to have a chance of winning. So it kind of just came to an end and it was probably a good thing. turns out it was a good thing that it did come to an end because another door
0: opened. But when you walked out of that one and looked for another one, how much faith did you have in actually getting somewhere with that?
2: Well, when I started enduro, it was, was just for fun. There was no, it wasn't a career move because hard enduro wasn't a a big sport. So and there wasn't any money in it. So I just did some local events for fun and did the, the couple of hard enduros that there were like the Erzberg and the Hell's Gate and uh, got some good results. But uh, it was just kind of riding for fun, really. I was just, Making ends meet, doing a few schools and different things, a little bit of trials. Still, still doing British Championship trials, and on that, the same period.
0: As a trials rider, at the, the level you were at, is that like a, a pro position where you're you're making money with it?
2: Yeah, with the the trials, you know, I was fourth in the world, so there's probably six or seven riders that were earning
0: money from it. Mm. And so when you walk away from that, you sort of walk away from money and, and, and go into the abyss or at least step into faith.
2: Yeah, well, the factory didn't want me anymore really in trials. So it was actually the, the Sherco, you know, that's kind of how I got into it. I was riding a Sherco and, the, and they had just got an enduro bike as well. So there was a bit of a changeover period. They supported me a little bit with bikes and getting to the events and stuff.
0: And so, with hard enduro, what makes the break for you? Where at what point do you get into it, and then find that um, you've got a sponsor knocking on your door?
2: Well, I kind of it kind of developed uh, with the sport, really. It was like probably two or three years, you know, I was just kind of getting to the races, and uh, you know, wasn't just I was just going to the races on my own, really. And then, uh, and then an Italian team kind of picked me up and did a professional job. And then from there, when I started winning, the factory, you know, stepped in and realized that they need some some paid riders doing this to promote their bikes.
0: You mentioned you've been doing it, you've been riding since you're 10 years old. Have you done anything else? Like was riding a, a career for you right from when you needed money or, or did you have another career that you're doing and started riding on the side?
2: No, I wasn't much good at school, so I didn't have a lot of choice. You know, I had to make it riding a bike couldn't do much else. What <laughs> <Not> much <laughs> good, good, good motivation. Yeah, that's it. So, you know, there's a bit of pressure to when you're young like that to, you know, that you put on yourself to to make it, and it took me longer than most, you know, 5 or 6 years trying to trying to make a, a living from it to before I got, you know, into the top 5.
0: You mentioned that um that the the competition was was increasing, the younger crowd was sort of pushing you out when it came to trials. What's hard enduro like when it comes to that? I mean, you've got to have all kinds of young people coming in there. I mean, I think all of us can sort of relate to those things of, um, you know, the things that we do in our, our, maybe in our youth. And you, you see, you know, some people do spectacular things with a bicycle, motorcycle, whatever it is. And then 20 years later, you see they're doing things that were just unthinkable to that point. I think that's sort of what we're talking about, isn't it?
2: yeah I kind of had an easy life for a few years. yeah, you know, I was winning quite easily and uh, a bit younger than I am now, so but then inevitably the sports become more professional, younger riders coming in but at forty five years
0: old, I'm quite happy to still be competing with them guys <laughs> yeah. forty five I mean yeah that's that's great I mean it's not something you would really expect. it is an anomaly, certainly when it comes to this sort of thing,
2: yeah, that's it, you know. It's the uh, body does hurt quite a lot, but you know, still enjoy riding and uh, still want to compete. So, and I've still got a chance of winning. And I think that's the key. You know if I've got a chance, or you know, of getting some on the
0: podium, and uh, I'd like to keep going as long as I can. So, what's the secret? You have a, a glass of orange juice with an egg every morning. You eat raw eggs. What What is the secret to the success that you have? Well, there's no
2: secrets it's obviously uh you know you have to keep working at it and you, know, you need a good team around you as well now and good bike and hasvan has given me good support so just try and stay disciplined and uh
0: if the body holds up just keep going do you ride anything other than the bike that you ride for uh for hard enduro do you ride adventure bikes
2: no, a little bit. Uh, I've got a place in Spain. Where I've got a 701, Hasvana 701. And, uh, you know, I like to hit the trails there. In England, it's not so much fun. But, uh, yeah, I do the the, the Jarvis Signature Tours in near Malaga. So something I'd like to get into more, the adventure side. We've got the enduro bikes down there, like doing the tours. You know, people come, stay at my house, go ride in a group. And it'd be good
0: to do that with the adventure bikes as well. Mm, yeah. Certainly less pressure than, than doing, I mean, that could be a retirement plan for you.
2: Yeah, definitely. You know, it's uh, more relaxed, less pressure and rising the bike in the sunshine.
0: Can't get much better than that. It would certainly have some advantages over the pressure of racing and, and, um, and trying to stay on top as number one. Hey, um, when it comes to riding skills, you said you started out as a trials rider and then you've morphed into extreme enduro where you use some of those trial skills that you've acquired before. How do you feel about um, about that as a base, using those trial skills or learning the skills of a trials rider as a way to improve your riding overall, and particularly when it comes to adventure riding, um, you know, larger bikes?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's all Trials is is a perfect base because you've got obviously the, the clutch control and the balance, of slow riding, so it all transfers over to whatever bike you're riding. You've got uh, if you get into trouble, then reactions from the trials and the uh, to save it, you know, pull the clutch in, balance and using the brakes, using all the controls. You know that all comes. That's just natural
0: if you've done a little bit of trials. So as far as someone riding a, a large adventure bike, um, w- what skills would you would you tell them that they should work on most? I think it's definitely the clutch
2: control because uh, that gives you so much, uh, pre- you know, precision riding. If you get into trouble, it helps you to ride safe, find traction, you know, clutch and throttle. The adventure bikes are obviously a, a lot bigger, so you're not really bouncing the suspension so much like a trials bike, but... That uh, clutch and throttle control, it all transfers over and that's, you know, what's going to find your grip if you've got a little bit of technical stuff and the balance as well. You know, when you're hitting a few loose rocks and stuff, you just know how to, to catch the catch your balance and save it.
0: So what are some of the ways that you would uh, encourage someone to build those skills? Would it be signing up for a trials course? Uh, and, yeah, and- I do a lot of, uh,
2: you know, coaching around the world with the enduro bike but uh you know trials bike, enduro bike a little bit of off-road or you know anything like that just a few little tips can make a big difference
0: how important is uh, being able to loft the front wheel that's something you're seen doing a lot in our
2: in the enduro world it's uh very important you know you've got logs and rock steps and stuff so you know that is a good base to tackle a lot of obstacles. If you can get the compression of the forks and do a good lift without just twisting the throttle, you're going to ride over stuff a lot safer. That's what we focus on a lot, a lot of that at the, at the schools and in
0: Spain at the tours. And how do you think that crosses over for adventure riding?
2: Well, if you want to do some wheelies and stuff, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how many adventure riders are riding over rocks and stuff, but and logs, but, uh, uh, I suppose you'd, you're not lifting the front wheel as much, but uh, you know you've got to unweight the front wheel sometimes to help it over. You know, probably smaller rocks. Depends what you're tackling, but you know, it all it all transfers over, just in a different way and maybe in a smaller a way on the, on a an adventure bike. But uh, it's all going to help
0: from the looks of the bike that you're riding, I mean, it doesn't, doesn't look heavily modified, at least not from the outset, maybe, maybe it is uh, suspension-wise, but if there's some mods that you think would really help uh, the average rider, mods they'd make to their bike, what would they be?
2: Uh, definitely the tyres, just get you, you we use mooses, uh, just soft mooses, or at least if you've, you've got tubes, just goes as low a pressure as you can, you know, without, you've got the risk of puncturing, but the grip with the tyres, we have run softer tyres as well, but that just makes uh, a massive difference. If you if you don't have grip, then it's uh, very challenging. Anything else? Uh, well, everything else will make a difference. You know, there's just tweaking the suspension, and uh, but you know we don't do a lot to it. Nothing particularly special with the suspension. We just set them up how we like them, and then. Uh, the engine, we don't really change a lot. Obviously, we're, we're doing testing and developing and stuff, but, you know, it's not massively different from standards. Uh, but the biggest mistake I see when people come on the schools and stuff, they bring the bike and they've not even checked the tyre pressure or, you know, they've got just a, a solid, hard tyre, trying to ride it on rocks. And it just, uh, it just once you've got soft tyres, soft mooses, it kind of transforms the bike and you will just, everything will be so much easier.
0: Mm. What, what do you do on a sort of daily, weekly, monthly basis as far as training goes to keep your skills up?
2: Well, the skills are, you, once you've learned the skills, you never lose them completely. It's a case of just, you know, fine tuning and keeping on top of the, the skills so you're you, you peaking for the right events. And then, you know, as you get older as well, the fitness becomes more of a challenge, but, you know, it's such a major ish uh, part of it, the fitness. Riding for seven, eight, nine hours a day, and like four days in a row, like in Romania, so uh, fitness is a, the major challenge. But you know, once you've learned them skills, you never lose them.
0: So as far as fitness goes, you're, you're saying that it gets a little more challenging as you get older. Are, are you being limited right now? Do you find that your 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 limits are sort of starting to show?
2: A little bit uh, f- from the aches and pains, you know, you, the <clears throat> old injuries and stuff start to come start to haunt you a little bit so you can only push your body so far sometimes, but, and it, and it takes longer to recover. It's the biggest thing that I noticed, but, you know, if you, uh, if I can have a good few months, not actually competing, you know, I can, it's a good chance to really get on top of your fitness and, and, uh, be ready for the races.
0: Mm. Hey, you mentioned that the tours in Spain that you're doing, can you talk more about that? Yeah,
2: so we've been going a couple of years and uh, we do like a three-day package. We've got 12 husvanas, you know, four strokes, mainly two strokes, and uh, we do a little bit of teaching. We mix it up, uh, some skills, and then we go out. I've got 80 acres around my house, and then we go out onto the trails and uh, ride all day and got different uh, levels of trails We've got guides that, you know, we can take you different ways, split the group accordingly to to whatever
0: level the riders are at. You mentioned teaching there. What do you teach them? What do you start out teaching them?
2: Obviously, it depends what level they're at, but uh, I always do the basics, you know. Once you get them basic skills of the the clutch and the throttle, you know, it makes everything else a lot easier. So we just uh, adapt it to whatever you know, whatever level the riders are at and, uh, and how much they want to push themselves sometimes as well. So it's everything's optional. That's my saying when people come, you know.
0: <laughs> and it's day trips from your place, so they're staying at your house and then they're making day trips out each day?
2: Yeah, we always come back to, to the house and, uh, you know, we get to get a paella at the house or sometimes go out to eat. and So, you know,
0: it's uh, it's good fun. You've also um, you've got a, a book coming out soon, conquering the Iron Giant. What's that about?
2: Yeah, the book's already out. You know, it's available, and it's my life story. How I transitioned from trials and ended up winning the which is the uh, biggest race of the year. And the the Iron Giant is uh, that's what they call the mountain where the Ertzberg takes place.
0: When do you uh, when do you picture that uh, you're going to retire from doing this?
2: Well, it's kind of uh, you know you just take it year by year, see how you feel, see how the results are, see if the factory still wants to employ me. <laughs> <laughs> if it depends how many other younger riders are going to you know
0: coming through, and uh, just live for the moment. Bottom line is they they want to see you keep winning. You have to stay in the limelight that's what they want
2: yeah it's kind of a mix i suppose to a certain extent with the social media and winning races it's a it's a balance if you're promoting the bike but you know if the results really aren't there then it might be an opportunity to become more of a an ambassador right which uh could be an option
0: so uh, social media plays a big part nowadays when it, when a company is sponsoring you as a factory rider they want to see that you have some sort of social media presence I think they
2: definitely take it into account and the, the sponsors, Rockstar, you know, you've got to do so many posts and stuff and, you know, tag the right things and hashtag the right things. So that's becoming a bigger part of it. And do you do that yourself? Yeah, I do all the social media myself. I quite enjoy it, you know, taking the videos and, you know, creating interest, being um,
0: creative with the videos and stuff. It's good fun. Even now, when you're locked down, I, you have a video that you put up um, of jumping up onto your shed roof, which didn't work out so well. Um, but that, that video... Depends which uh, way
2: you look at it. It worked out fantastic. It went viral.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, it, worked, it worked out for a spectacle, no doubt. I mean, the video, I don't know, it's had millions of views, hasn't it?
2: Yeah, that's it. So it's, you know, people just want to see something different. It's good fun for me as well. It gets me on the bike, you know, just to challenge myself, see what I can ride over be creative.
0: And, uh, that's, I think that's what people like to see. So a final question here, what tip would you give people overall tip for becoming a better rider, for improving our skills? What are, what are a few things that you would recommend?
2: Just really focus on the, the basic slow riding to start with. <clears throat> get that, like I say, that clutch control, get your balance, and uh, you know, getting that clutch covered, and you're you'll be able to ride safely. You'll be able to tackle harder stuff safer as well. You'll be able to challenge yourself. So that's that's the uh, the one thing I would say. And then you've got you know you in our sport using the suspension as well, rather than the just twisting the throttle. I think that's the key to a lot of things as well. Keeps you safe. You're going to have to explain the last one a little bit more. <laughs> So if you've got a log, for example, you know, a big mistake I see is trying to hit it with speed and uh, trying to get the front wheel up just using the the throttle. So, you know, using basically doing a power wheelie, but then you're going to be going too fast and hitting the obstacle. So we just use the suspension and clutch to lift the front wheel in a slow, controlled way. Mm.
0: So compressing the suspension heavily as much as you can and then using that expansion of the suspension to help loft the wheel or at least lighten the weight.
2: Yeah, compress and then use the rebound of the suspension to lift it rather than, you know, you're using a little bit of throttle, but power wheelies are kind of a, a bit of a no-no when you're tackling obstacles. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> Graham, great to sit down and talk with you. Thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. graham jarvis from his home in the uk and you can follow graham on social media of course Uh, he posts all kinds of videos and the crazy things he's doing you can check out his tours on his website grahamjarvis.org now stay with us because we're gonna have a quick break here and then we come back we've got a brand new satellite transceiver that may change the way you communicate on your rides See and be seen with Cyclops Adventure Sports. Cyclops makes all kinds of LED lighting for motorcycles, from uh, replacement headlights, LEDs, to their Evo safety turn signals. They have a lot more on the website as well. But I'm going to talk about the Evo safety turn signal inserts. The idea is twofold. You take those sort of anemic front lights that you have on that are your direction signals that really don't do anything until you turn, and they get switched over to become super bright driving lights so that as you're driving along, you've got these super bright white driving lights facing forward. They change to amber when you when you go to signal on whichever side. But otherwise, they command attention, and that's what you want. You want those, those other drivers to see you. Now, the rear is the same type of thing, except that they turn into super bright red LED lights. Lights. So when you step on the brakes, you not only get your brake light coming on, but you've got your turn signals now illuminating as super bright and their LED, of course, red lights also changing to amber for the direction signals. That's called the Evo safety turn signal inserts. And man, that is that is just such a great idea for us motorcyclists. And um, by the way, the company Cyclops, a family owned and they are all riders drop by their website it is cyclopsadventuresports.com and of course anytime you're talking with them dealing with them for any reason please throw in there that you heard them here on adventure rider radio cyclopsadventuresports.com some riders and i'm sure you see them they'll they'll dive into mods that actually decrease the performance of their bike just for looks and I don't think there's anything really wrong with that as long as you understand that's what you're doing, that you don't fool yourself into thinking that you're you're doing the opposite. But how about something that will not only make your bike look better, customized, but drastically increase your ability to ride? IMS Products has a full line of foot pegs for adventure bikes, each designed for whatever style riding you do, each crafted in a way that almost resembles art because some of them have a, a high polish finish, but they all have a... Have a um, Just a beautiful uh, design to them. Like you can see these things are not slapped together. These things have been designed and crafted by a professional um, that's taken a lot of pride in what they do. They're beautiful to look at, and the IMS pegs will keep your feet connected. And that will drastically increase your ability to control your bike by keeping your foot planted on the peg, while at the same time providing you a larger platform that increases your leverage and your ability to transfer your weight as needed, not to mention comfort. IMSproducts.com. And anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you, you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. It's IMSproducts.com. Talked about satellite communicators on the show before, mainly because it's something that I think we should all have when we're off riding, in particular if you're riding by yourself, but even if you're with someone else. When it comes to adventure riding, we often find ourselves riding into areas where there is no cell coverage, maybe even off the beaten path. And that satellite communicator is insurance. It's not only insurance for you to get help when you need it, but it can be life saving as well. Not long ago, just a few weeks back, we did a a piece called Remote Rescue at the Push of a Button, where we walked through a rescue situation. We had Pete and Ashley from Moscow Moto on, and they had an incident where they had to get rescued using their satellite communicator. And then with that, we went behind the scenes into GEOS. GEOS is, is basically the coordination center for all satellite communicators. When you press the SOS button, whether it's in reach or spot, that's the company that responds worldwide to SOSs. And now, just out, brand new on the market as of just this year, is a new device, a new satellite communicator called Zoleo. And a few months back, Zoleo sent us a test unit, which we've been trying out over this period of time. And this device has been incredibly impressive, so much so that I wanted to get them on and talk about it and share it with you. So to talk about the new device, we asked the president of Zoleo if he'd like to come on the show. And here he is.
1: Okay. I'm Morris Sean, based in Toronto, Canada, and I am the president of Zolio Inc., which is a joint venture between Roadpost and Beam Communications, and I am also the president of Roadpost.
0: Morris, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. You're not at the office right now.
1: No, no. Actually, I'm lucky I'm at our cottage. so. So
0: you're still actually getting working. a little break. I always wonder about that. How yeah. does it work? I mean, well, you know, you're the founder, so you're going to work no matter what, but do you think all, all your employees are doing the same thing as you're doing?
1: Uh, I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually I'm, I'm pretty sure they're working pretty hard. We're, we're managing to keep the business going um, despite everything out there right now.
0: It must be quite a feat to, um, try and string everything together from home. And in particular, I think in this case, without any notice in advance.
1: Yeah, it, um, it definitely was a challenge, but I guess we were lucky from a systems point of view in that a lot of our, our um, systems were already in the cloud. Even our phone system, you know, the call center, um, basically everyone has the ability to log on from home and answer the calls just as if they were in the office. So it's been pretty transparent to our customers.
0: Oh, really? And th- that was probably a surprise to you when you, when this happened, how easy it went over.
1: Yeah. It's, it's funny because we've been thinking about doing a renovation in the office and our big concern was, okay, well, where are we going to put everyone in the meantime? <laughs> 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 so we have our answer.
0: <laughs> now, you know, will, will this change? Cause I mean, this is a big conversation, not what we're going to talk about today, but a big conversation for everybody. Is this going to change the way you do business? Like, do, do you see it being completely different? I mean, even that your office renovation.
1: Yeah, I, I really do. I mean, that's just a small example. But you know, the satellite business is is a global business by definition. And a lot of us um, travel quite extensively. And we're just getting so used to doing everything, either over the phone or on a zoom call. And it's become much more second nature, I guess, than it was. So I really see that um, being impacted, as well as just people comfortable working from home. And and when you think about, you know, sort of office space and the social distancing measures we're going to have to have even within an office when you return, I think some of that's going to last a while. Mm.
0: Hey, you mentioned road post. We're, we're going to talk about Zaleo. You mentioned road post. Talk, sure. talk about road post. What is that?
1: Yeah. So road post, um, we're Canada's, uh, leading satellite provider, mobile satellite provider, um, and also have a um, large operation in the US. Uh, so basically, we're a service provider for Iridium Inmarsat, Marsat um, and other uh, suppliers, providing satellite phones, data devices, basically everything you need for remote mobile communications.
0: So is that mainly industrial stuff or is it consumer?
1: Uh, it's a little bit of a mix, I think, in terms of satellite phones themselves, that tends to be more commercial in government. So, you know, uh, first responders, public safety, um, wildfire fighters, resource companies, that type of thing. Um, but in Canada, we have also, we were at, at one point the master Canadian distributor for InReach. So that's very much a consumer oriented business.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and that's how I got to know you guys is, is through you being InReach Canada, which you're no longer.
1: Right. So we had a relationship with DeLorme, who originally developed um, the InReach. They were based in Maine, and we were a development partner, worked on the online portal, the billing, the provisioning systems, and through that became the Master Canadian Distributor. Uh, they were acquired a two or three years ago by Garmin, and after that acquisition, Garmin, of course, having you know, their own very strong presence around the world, really that master distribution relationship ended. We do still maintain our InReach Canada subscriber base. Um, We can um, provide them with new devices and we also still sell InReach Enterprise, which is the more um, commercially oriented flavor.
0: So was this the basis of Zoleo? I mean, you were InReach Canada, then you're not. And does that leave a gap that you want to fill? Is that where Zoleo came from?
1: Absolutely. So, no, you got it um, right on, basically. So, you know, when, when that relationship ended, we had built um, both an infrastructure in terms of a dealer network, product ambassadors, a presence in, in a lot of the, the markets that InReach appeal to, and just also such a base of knowledge of what was in the market, what the market still needed, where the gaps were. So we started to look at it. Um, We didn't want to compete head-to-head with InReach because they do really a great job um, for the markets that they're serving. Uh, But we tried to identify where we thought there was an opportunity. And it was really around messaging. So while some of the other devices out there do messaging, it's not necessarily their primary focus. And in talking to our customers and looking at their usage data and asking what motivated them um, to buy a device in the first place, um, we really saw that messaging was kind of an underserved um, opportunity.
0: How big of a company do you have to be to start a satellite transponder company? I mean, because to me, if this seems like a huge undertaking.
1: Um, it it was a big undertaking, that's for sure, and a stretch for a company our size. We're about um, 45 employees. But you know we had a strong relationship with Beam Communications out of Australia, and so we did it as a joint venture. And what they brought to the table um, was really very, very deep experience with satellite devices as a developer and manufacturer. They developed the Iridium Go device. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Um, as well as you know, a whole slew of other um, iridi- of satellite, basically satellite um, terminals.
0: So this Zoleo unit. Let's talk about that. You have um, you have one unit so far. Just came out this year. Um, I believe it was it January.
1: Yeah, right at the end of January. Okay. And
0: what is it supposed to do? I'm holding my hand. It's a, it's a gray box that's, um, well, it's shorter, mm-hmm. it's about the width of, a, of an average cell phone, I guess, but only about two-thirds of the height and maybe, uh, I don't know, an inch and a bit, an inch and a quarter thick.
1: Yeah. So, basically, the Zolio device is really the primary use case is to use it with the Zolio app, which is a free download on um, Apple or Google Play. Uh, And essentially, what it gives you is the ability to message from your cell phone in a way that's very familiar if you use any messaging app um, anywhere you are in the world, North Pole to South Pole. Um, It also, unlike other devices, the app will work over cellular and Wi-Fi. So if you're in and out of cellular coverage, like I'm sure a lot of your listeners are, really, you'll continue to receive Messages, even when um, you know you're no longer linked to to the device itself, it'll just come in over a cellular or Wi-Fi network, whatever your phone is on.
0: Okay, so that's key, right there. I think that's one of the things that, I, that I'm so impressed with 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 this unit. Now, normally, mm-hmm. with, with every other satellite communicator that we've tried, you turn the unit on, it connects to your phone if you if you have the style, it connects Bluetooth to your phone, and, and they all have apps that you can use on your phone, like you have. The difference here is that. If my satellite com is off, like, for instance, this Zolio device is off, and I'm sitting here with my cell phone, I'm in cell range, I'm still going to get those messages. So it all of a sudden becomes a a message system that you can use all the time. It's not like you have to tell somebody, and, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, it's not like you have to tell somebody, today I'm on my satellite account, tomorrow I'm on my text messaging.
1: That's right. I mean, that's really one of the key benefits of Zolio And it came out of our conversations with customers. I mean, one of our, you know, we refer to our sort of ideal customer as a frequent fringer. So someone who's in and out of cell coverage, um, quite often, they may live somewhere that has cellular coverage in their community, but as soon as they hit the road, they're out of it. Or, you know, their travels or adventure activities take them in and out. So Uh, that ability to not have to worry about missing a message because your device is off because you're back at home, we eliminate that.
0: It has a button uh, in the middle of it on one side for a check-in.
1: Yeah. So um, in our customer research, what we found is that the SOS and check-in capabilities, that ability to quickly send a message to your spouse or your office or your friend saying, I'm okay, was one of the key things that people looked for in these types of devices. So um, so basically, by having the button on the device itself, as well as the SOS button, you can access those functions directly on the device without having to pull out your phone. So you're on your bike, you make a quick stop. You don't want to pull out your cell phone. You just press that I'm OK button, uh, the check-in button, and that will go to one or two pre-designated contacts.
0: And as you mentioned, the SOS button is also on top. It's covered by a cap. So if you need to to mm-hmm. press that, as I think most units are nowadays, you, you pop the cap and you press that. So as far as that function goes, that's very similar to other devices that are on the market.
1: Yeah, it is. So basically, I would have to say that most devices, at least the two-way devices, are pretty equivalent in their SOS functionality. So they have, you know, a little two-step process. In our case, it's lifting the cap and pressing the button to prevent false alarms. Um, the alert along with your GPS coordinates go to GEOS, um, which is also used by SPOT and InReach. It's an emergency response center. They will try and contact you to determine what the, what the nature of the emergency is. And depending on that, they'll um, they'll dispatch the appropriate first responders.
0: And we had GiOS on the show um, not too long ago, actually talking about exactly okay. that. Yeah, what, what they do, and it was quite interesting. Um, so it's you're using the same system. Geos, is, is what everybody is. So as far as the SOS function goes, it's as capable as any system out there.
1: Exactly. So I think we're pretty much we consider ourselves equivalent to anyone out there on the SOS function and. The messaging part is where we really differentiate ourselves.
0: Now, what about the satellite network that you're using?
1: That too, for sure. Um, the Iridium satellite network is the only network that true global coverage, North Pole to South Pole. Um, and as well, Iridium just recently uh, replaced their original satellite constellation with 66 new satellites. That was just completed last year. Uh, so, you know, we, we really think and I think um, uh, people in the industry regard Iridium as, as by far the most capable satellite network.
0: Can you talk about how, like, what that satellite network looks like?
1: Sure. It's a constellation of 66 satellites that are basically orbiting uh, in what they call low Earth orbit. So relatively close to the Earth which means that um, the antenna sizes on the device themselves and the battery consumption and so forth can be less than uh, what are called geostationary satellites, which park themselves at a higher altitude above the equator. Uh, and essentially, those satellites are constantly orbiting the Earth in sort of this intricate tense. Uh, you know, if you go on the Iridium website, there's some animations and it's really quite impressive. And basically, anywhere you are on Earth, you should have view um, or your device should have view of three or four satellites at a time that are overhead. And they connect to the satellite. The messages pass. The data passes between the satellites and then down to an Earth station and onto the, um, the, the communications networks.
0: It sounds fairly simple when you explain it like that, but it must be quite the, quite the technology there because, as you mentioned, the satellites are are, are going around the Earth all the time. They're, they're going quite fast. Yeah. So one picks up your signal and pa- has to pass it to another and then another and another sort of thing along a chain.
1: That's right. Yeah, that's right. And if you're on a phone call, let's say, let's say you were using a sat phone, um, the satellite that you originally connected with may move out of view And it will automatically hand off that call to an adjacent satellite without you really noticing anything. So it's really like an amazing feat of engineering. Mm.
0: What I found with this uh, Zoleo unit at the time that I've been testing it is – it, that, it, that it gets the satellites through some areas that I've had trouble with other communicators. Like, in other words, in heavy tree cover or um, in deep valleys. Now, I'm in British Columbia, so we have lots of mountains here, and the trees mm-hmm. are quite tall. So even when you're standing in a road, it's, it's sort of like you're looking up a slot at the sky, which definitely has an effect on the signal getting to um, satellites. But this thing seems to do very, very well in, so, in some real tough conditions. And I'm, I'm wondering, is there anything else with this that, that makes it... So good at transmitting and receiving? Is it the size of the antenna? Is it the power output? Or is there anything that is different from the other SAT communicators?
1: Well, we did. I think the antenna is really the key thing. So we put a lot of work into um, testing the various antennas available, uh, seeing which ones would offer sort of the fastest connectivity and best transmission capabilities, and then really developing the device firmware to optimize all of those capabilities. So that was really a big focus for us to be able to receive messages under, you know, not just ideal conditions, but the less than ideal conditions we often find ourselves in and to do it quickly.
0: It's IP68 rated Mm -hmm. for waterproof and dust. Can you talk about that?
1: Sure. So... Um, basically that's a measure. I think the six refers to, um, sort of the dust resistance and the eight is the water. Um, and essentially that's an industry standard. Uh, well, I guess not just satellite industry, but all devices whereby you can measure sort of resistance to those elements. Um, IP68 is, uh, better, I guess, uh, a higher rating, higher numbers are better than our competitive devices specifically on the water resistance side so um you caught me out i can't tell you exactly what it is submersion at 10 meters for 30 minutes but don't quote me
0: (laughs) (laughs) well the the, the point is though it would be safe to have on your on the outside of your jacket while riding your bike in rain
1: oh absolutely yeah Yeah, that would not be a problem for the device at all
0: the battery in it is built in why'd you choose that as opposed to a replaceable one
1: Uh, I think just for customer convenience was the primary motivator, um, and a secondary motivator was the IP rating itself, because once you have a removable battery, that means a door that you can open, that means somewhere else for water, um, or dust to get in. Uh, so the, the rechargeable battery, I mean, these days, most people have, um, chargers readily available you know, in their vehicle, on their bike, even, uh, or at home. And it's a mini USB connection. So very standard.
0: Right. And you can plug it in and use it at the same time.
1: Yes, you can.
0: Right. And the the battery lasts for something like 200 hours.
1: Yeah, it would last for 200 hours based on, you know, a regular message cycle, which is checking for messages every 12 minutes. Um, you can change that. You can have it check less frequently, or more frequently. Right. But out of the box, it's 200 hours.
0: Now, what about pricing wise? How how do you compare price wise to all the other units that are out there?
1: Uh, There's a range of prices out there. I think, you know, we're sort of comparable to the spot devices, uh, and less expensive, I guess, than the in-reach devices. If you're talking just about the device itself, um, so the device is a good value it's a 199 price point in the us 269 in canada Uh, and we try to bring a lot of value on the actual rate plans so for example um, you know our in-touch plan which is the middle plan will include 250 messages where an in-reach recreation plan which would be their equivalent would just offer 40 messages Hmm. So we try to bring a lot of value on the messaging side. And part of that is because of our focus on messaging, we don't offer unlimited tracking, for example, in our rate plan. Um, We're really trying to orient our our pricing towards the messaging part of it.
0: I was going to ask about tracking. Now, tracking is not available on this, is it?
1: No, tracking is currently not available, but we are looking at it um, potentially as an add-on down the road.
0: What's the deal with tracking? What what makes it something that you've left off? Does it consume battery, um, network?
1: Yeah, so I think there were a number of reasons. I guess in our research, we found that it was really a small minority of users who were even using their inReach For tracking where they're sending their location every 10 minutes or so and and having someone look at it on a map, um, the messaging seemed to be much more important. Uh, So that's part of it. I think location is super important for safety purposes, obviously. So if you send an SOS, um, you also have the option of sending it with your check-in messages. And then it was also down to the pricing. If we included tracking... We would have to accommodate um the cost of the satellite data that tracking requires, which is quite expensive because you'll be sending a track point every ten minutes or so. We'd have to we'd have to consider that when we when we built our rate plans. So really, what we wanted to do was really just bring the best messaging value and also to keep the whole product position in a way around messaging. But that said, we do understand that some people do value tracking, so we are looking at it um, as a potential add-on down the road.
0: Mm, yeah, I, I like the idea of tracking, but it's not a deal-breaker for me. For me, it's uh, the same as what your research uh, shows, is um, yeah. messaging and SOS. The SOS is just, it's insurance, right? I mean, you want it for insurance, but the messaging is is just beautiful to be able to stop and just fire off a message. And, and as mm-hmm. I said with this one, I, I find it quite fast. But the only thing that I found with it was the the um, and it's a very very minor. But I'm I'm hoping I'm I'm telling you this and I have some sort of in right now because I have, I have your ear, um, <laughs> but but and this by no means takes away from the way I feel about the device because I absolutely love sure. the device. It's when you send a message and it doesn't go for whatever reason. Maybe you have the unit um, in your pocket or whatever the case is. It it, it gets a little red ring that tells you it didn't send. And um, my eyes aren't as good as they were before, and so I find that that red ring doesn't stand out to me as much. It's, um, I was thinking if you made the whole message red, so I knew it didn't send, that would be a huge improvement for me.
1: Okay, you know what? I am going to take that right to our product development guys. That's good feedback actually. That would That's be good very feedback.: cool. Yeah.
0: So the difference with this unit, the whole point of it, as you said, is messaging. It's, it becomes your your messenger, and and if you're doing that, and it's switching from satellite to cellular to go with the cheapest route i think is what it says on on your website mostly um mm-hmm. is going with the less expensive route that's only going to make a difference if you if you have one of the lower plans i believe there's three plans for the average consumer the low the medium and the high and the high is unlimited it's only if you're on the low plans does it really matter to the user about switching over to wi-fi then
1: uh yeah i get from a cost perspective yeah, cost. yes um uh, yeah, from a cost perspective, it would only matter um, if you're on one of the lower prints, you're correct. But, but in but terms of convenience, your yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, in terms of convenience, and you know, if you don't have the device on and so forth then um, that makes a difference also.
0: Right. Yeah. And and that's the great thing about it because, you know, if you do shut it off, you're still getting it to your phone through the Wi-Fi. I mean, I I think you guys have done a great job on this. The only other thing I'm going to throw out there was my color choice. This is a gray box with um, some fluorescent uh, green. Uh, I would love to see it in fluorescent orange or something like that. (laughs) And the reason is, is because I actually thought I lost it one day and I had to go back along my track to see where it was. Turned out it was in another pocket. And, of course, uh, this is your unit, so I was rather stressed about it. <laughs> but I, I went back looking for it and thinking the whole time, thinking if this thing was only fluorescent orange or something or yellow, um, I would be able to spot it. But it turns out it was just in, an, in another pocket, and I, I'd put it in a different pocket. But... Uh,
1: okay. All right. Well, I do have some uh, – we couldn't do the orange because Spot is orange, so for competitive reasons. Right. Uh, but we do – I think on our next um, app update, we have a Find My Zolio feature. Where in the app, you can, you know, press that button and the Zolio will make some noise. Oh, that's very cool. (laughs) Yeah, so your pocket will start ringing.
0: (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) That's very handy. Well, that is great. I think you guys have done a wonderful job on this. This is available around the world, am I correct?
1: Uh, It's available currently for uh, people with billing addresses in Canada, the U.S., or Australia.
0: But it works everywhere.
1: Oh, yes, it works everywhere. Right. It works globally.
0: Morris, thank you very much for taking the time to talk with me.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate your time as well.
0: That was Morris Sean, the president of both RoadPost and Zoleo, And uh, I've been trying the Zolio device now for a couple of months. And I've been very impressed with this thing. The performance of it in particular in places where you have limited view of the sky. And in my case, it's trees and mountains and things like that. Which to me is paramount for us riders getting into to places Um, that uh, you might have that. You might have uh, times where you're in a valley or a canyon or something like that. So really important. Anyway, you can check out the all new Zoleo at the website, zoleo.com. And uh, we have some more photos and that link, of course, in the show notes for this episode on our website. up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you, the listener, thank you very much. Don't forget, we have a website with a whole bunch of information from all these shows that we've done, um, literally hundreds of episodes, and we have our other show, Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Don't forget, you need to subscribe separately to that. we got a new one for Raw coming out, I think, um, just next week. It should be out uh, next week, so drop by the website and have a look. We also need your support It's built on a model of advertising and listener support, and we really need that listener support now. Um, We'd love it if you consider becoming one of our patron supporters. Drop by our website, adventurerideradio.com, and click on support. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike, and I sure hope you can, and if you can, enjoy. Otherwise, my name is Jim Martin, and I will talk to you next week. Hi, this is Elspeth Beard, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs)